Hello, this is Crispin Glover, and you're listening to Mike Tamano. The Mike Tamano Happening. Welcome to episode five of the Mike Tomano Happening. I want to tell you that I really appreciate you listening and all the positive feedback that we've been receiving. As many of you know, in addition to my radio show and musical endeavors, a portion of my life is indeed dedicated to the great outdoors lifestyle. I run a kids camp once a year in honor of my father. And you can find out about that. It's called Trout Dog Outdoor Family Adventure Camp. We're going to celebrate our 10th anniversary Actually, our 11th anniversary, but we couldn't do it last year. I hope we could do it this year with the way things are going. But uh, it's going to be September 18th. You can get information at my website, MikeTamano.com, if you're in the area. You know, I know I've got listeners in Australia and Canada. You probably would be underwhelmed if you came all that way for a six-hour camp. But, you know, locally, it's a great day. We teach kids archery, we take them fishing, we go for a canoe ride, we have a campfire. It's uh, pretty awesome. We teach gun safety. But anyway, I've been, a, you know, an avid promoter and participant in uh, adventures that lie beyond the pavement, in the woods and on the water since I was a wee lad. And uh, I carry on that tradition. I've been a fanatical fisherman, hunter, hiker, kayaker, and canoeist, bird watcher, and wildlife steward for most of my life. So now, you know, having having grown up in Chicago, I now, uh, at the age of 53, live in a very rural area. And so uh, it affords me the ability to thrill at encounters with wildlife on a daily basis. Matter of fact, I see the same fox running in an irrigation ditch and along the road every morning on my pre-dawn drive to work. I see ducks and geese and deer every day, turkeys, skunks, possums, you name it. We live in front of a lake, so our home is often inundated with frogs and toads every time there's a heavy Midwestern rain. I take a lot of photographs of the wildlife around here, but I've never been able to get a glimpse at an owl in the wild. All my years hiking trails, camping out. I've heard them, but I've never seen one until uh, this week. And then there is a screech owl that breaks the silence when I walk to my car at 4 a.m. each day, but I only know his noise and where it's coming from. I've never seen him, but I love owls. It's a love that I shared with my mother. She, uh, that was her favorite animal. She wasn't a real outdoorsy type, but she did love critters and, uh, she would collect little owl figurines and pictures and stuff, but they're so majestic and they're so badass. And I've always wanted to see one. Well, yesterday I ran to town on some errands. And when I got home, as I was gathering my belongings from my truck in the driveway, I glanced West toward the, uh, sunset gorgeous pink and orange sunset and lo and behold in swoops a great horned owl and it perches on the electric pole at the end of my driveway so i grabbed my phone and i captured some video footage and as soon as i stopped the video this group of sparrows that were circling them they kind of ganged up on them and caused them to take flight although now that i think of it the owl may have been female it was dark colored had a lot of black spots which are identity traits of female owls 
the owl swooped over my house and into my neighbor's barn a few hundred yards away. And the episode once again had me thinking of the tenacity and penchant for a good old brawl of the common house sparrow. You know, it's like, who do they think they are? Like little, no bigger than a fart, but they're ready to fight all the time. And when you see small birds like sparrows attacking crows, hawks, or owls, that's called mobbing. And as I watched the owl, I knew a good mobbing was close at hand because the sparrows that hogged my multiple bird feeders were making a lot of noise, lots of tweets and beeps. And I translated that from bird song to English. I think it's, it's an owl. Yo, Vinny, Nunzio, let's kick his ass. Now, as a bird watcher, this occurrence, which I've witnessed countless times, always intrigues me. It's this natural instinct that all living beings have to protect their young. Really fascinating stuff. So I got to see an owl. That was awesome. Just catching up with you. I've been in radio for 30 years, and over that time, I've made a lot of showbiz acquaintances. Uh, There's entertainers and media folks that I've had on my show that I've kept in touch with, but very few. I mean, I've had hundreds of guests uh, interviewed some of the biggest names in show business history but you know very few become actual friends they're showbiz relationships you know when they come through town if they're playing a club or if they're doing a lecture or whatever they'll stop by because they know you'll give them a good interview and you're cordial and the people that you work with are kind and that means a lot especially to someone on a press junket but there's very few who have become actual friends but i have known ted nugent for about 25 years and we keep in touch almost daily great guy and he's lots of fun So this week he was suffering from a stiff neck and the other day I texted him and I was hoping I was letting him know that I hope he feels better. And he replied and told me that Dusty Hill of ZZ Top had died uh, the previous night. And, you know, at the radio station I worked at, I immediately checked the news wires and there was nothing there yet. But the family who was close to Ted had called and let him know and he let me know. And ZZ Top is a really important band for me. They're the real deal. Their music really grabs me. Especially like, you know, I hate to say it sounds cliche, but the early stuff, you know, Tres Hombres and uh, Rio Grande Mud and De Gallo or De Guelo, whatever it's called. Those are great albums. Just magnificent. You know, I was actually thinking about Dusty Hill over the weekend and I pulled out Tres Hombres and I listened to it. Last week, I watched a great documentary for the second time on the little old band from Texas. And in recent weeks, I've been on a bit of a ZZ Top jag, which music lovers often go through. You revisit bands that you love and you just uh, devour their catalogs. So I've been spinning their tunes and uh, taking the CDs with me in my Jeep for weeks. And I've been checking out some bass tabs and videos of Dusty's playing. And I always loved his relaxed style and his use of open strings on their tunes. Really cool guy. True American rock and roll icon and Texas bad mofo. He was one third of one of rock and roll's greatest bands. And his art touched lives and will continue to do so forever. So rock on Dusty Hill. And earlier this week, a friend told me about drummer Joey Jordison dying and... Boy, he was a young guy, 46 years old. Now, Slipknot isn't really in my wheelhouse. I've heard a couple of their albums. I think I have that album called Iowa somewhere in the collection, but I'm not really a Slipknot fan, uh, you know. But Joey, I know as a drummer, I'm well aware of his just amazing prowess on the kit. Same for Joey. His music stirred the soul of millions and his drumming reached levels of like superhuman skill. You know, there are people like that, that, you know, you look at certain icons or certain people that appeal to you 
and they're the best of any given profession. You know, they, they're often larger than life personalities. Michael Jordan in basketball, Babe Ruth to baseball, Hemingway and Steinbeck to the page, uh, Kubrick and Scorsese and Hitchcock, Prince and Hendrix, of course. I mean, admiration is subjective, but excellence, you know, you can't dismiss excellence by mere taste. I can't listen to Bruce Springsteen music, but I will never deny his ability to write a well-crafted song, and his band is smoking. You might not like to watch Meryl Streep act, but you can't deny she has incredible chops as an actress. Simone Biles, who's in the news this week, uh, amazing. Serena Williams, stunning skills. So these people whose skill levels, expertise, and abilities don't just raise the bar, but they cause others to realize that some bars are not to be reached. And in those cases, you know, a lot of people either give up because they'll never be that good or in the best scenario of witnessing perfection, they forge their own path and attempt to be the best they can be in their own unique fashion, which I've done. I try to be the best me at what I'm doing that I can be. You know, paraphrasing Bill Bruford, an exemplary percussionist and drummer he played with yes and king crimson for those who may not be familiar with him you know he he said something to that effect that you can't get discouraged just be the best where you're at in your abilities and give it all you got and that's the way you grow and as a broadcaster i mean there's a ton that i've been inspired by really too many to mention i had an early obsession with steve Dahl and gary meyer on chicago radio in the 80s uh, roy leonard was a cat that did incredibly candid and deep interviews on WGN, the big station out of Chicago. There's been a host of disc jockeys and personalities, Don Imus, Howard Stern, dozens of really great folks behind the mic. I listened to them and I absorbed how they did what they did and spent years analyzing why they did it that way. I used to listen to Robert Murphy on Q101, a radio station in Chicago back in the 80s. I would tune into his timing and his quick asides and his confidence. So these are things that, these are traits that you emulate. You, you know, you want to, and I tell this to my drum students, you want to emulate approach, not imitate practice, you know? So, and as a drummer, again, I've been influenced by great players in all types of music. As a, as a musician, you know, I, I could sit here for days and talk about musicians that have touched me deeply with their work and drummers that have uh, inspired me but today we're going to talk a little bit about the one the man the guy who blew me away every single time i heard or watched him play buddy rich and buddy rich was not just a drummer he was a consummate musician you know his radar was honed into the minute details of every note played by his band as much as it was on his rapid fire single strokes or his wild drum solos or a swing and ride cymbal he was a force of nature the drummer's drummer the one larger than life confident cocky funny and at times confrontational slightly belligerent and above all very very passionate I never got to see him perform live, which is a big bummer. But I've been listening to his albums and watching videos of his astonishing performances since I picked up sticks and started practicing my paradiddles and roughs and singles and doubles on a practice pad. One of the drummers that I grew up watching was a Chicago guy. He was just a kid when I started watching him, and I was even more of a kid. His name is Greg Potter. 
he had flash. He was twirling his sticks. He had a big smile and he had this great attitude. He was catching symbols and throwing sticks behind his back. A real showman. But his showmanship was merely part of his appeal. He had monster chops. I mean, he, he drove a song, man, like a locomotive. And I first saw Greg when he was part of Steve Dahl's comedy rock and roll band, the disc jockey that I mentioned earlier. And he had a comedy parody rock and roll band called Teenage Radiation. I saw them whenever and wherever I could get in to see them. Um, I was still in high school, so I could only see Steve Dahl and Teenage Radiation play at theaters and festivals, not nightclubs. Although they did play my high school homecoming in, uh, oh my, I believe sophomore year, 1982. Wow. Uh, well, Greg was and still is a monster player. Every note is full of fire. So who, who would have thought that when Kathy Rich, Buddy Rich's daughter, was looking for someone to front the big band to carry on her father's name and jazz legacy, that this skin basher that I grew up watching would end up on the king's throne? There's much more to Greg Potter and Kathy Rich's story, and I'm glad to have them on this week's episode of the Mike Tomano Happening. Well, it's the globetrotting duo keeping big band music and the legacy, the incomparable legacy of Buddy Rich alive. Kathy Rich and Greg Potter, welcome to the Mike Tomano Happening. Hey, Mike, how are you? Good. I'm glad to call both of you friends, and uh, you're an inspiration, both of you. And there's so much to ask both of you. And, and Greg, <laughs> Greg has been in my life for a long time. I, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I, I bet. I bet after when you he won't be after this. Yeah, when you read my um little like my little paragraph on Match.com, you never thought the relationship would last. I did not. You know I did I mean? not. Uh, Potter's been around for so long, but actually you lied on your profile. I did. Yeah, I said I was. You said you were six feet tall. Yeah, and I said I was seventy-three years old. I'm actually okay. yes. Five. Well, there you go. Uh, uh, you know, know I want. Yeah, I've known you for a long time. We've had so much fun. Uh, well, I grew up watching i was i'm a little bit younger than you so i grew up when you were in steve Dahl and teenage radiation i had my sights set on being in the radio business so steve Dahl was my hero following uh steve Dahl and teenage radiation around and i was just amazed watching you play because you know you got this you had the showmanship all these guys that you know in the 80s especially who were twirling their sticks they had nothing on you you kind of started that and but you had the chops too which is you know sometimes people will have the flash and spin their sticks and twirl their sticks and and catch their symbols but right. you also had the chops and so i was keyed into you on those big yellow slingerlands that you were playing wow. and they played kathy they played my homecoming at saint rita high school when I was a sophomore. <laughs> wow. Amazing. That is pretty cool. I, I forgot about that. I they but... played Buddy's High School. <laughs> I, I possibly did. I actually played Buddy's Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> it's um, weird we that actually, Kathy Rich old, ends up with a guy older than her father. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's that weird symbiosis. Greg, you look good for 112. I got to tell Not you. Bad. I tried to date Kathy's mother. 
<laughs> she, she, she dropped me. Yeah, she dropped me for Dick Van Dyke. She had Dick Van Dyke had a better um, had a better resume. So she dumped me, and I just, I, you know, I, I went for the seconds. Right. <laughs> I'll date your daughter then. There you go. Yeah, so, so luckily, Kathy was on Match.com and right. found me. And I like older men. Yeah, they, she they, older men. <laughs> right. So, Who so wish they were her father. Is it, yeah. Yeah, well, and uh, see, we're going to talk about that. When Buddy Rich entered your life, I mean, Greg. So yeah. when you were when you were growing up, obviously you won a lot of uh, the competitions and stuff. But Buddy was your guy, and oh, yeah. and so when you got to meet him, what did he say to you? What what it was like meeting Buddy Rich for the first time? Well, I don't know how much you've uh, you know read on my background. I don't know what it says on my Wikipedia. Or we take we took the Wikipedia down because it, it said your age. It said my age. So anything with my real age on it, we took down. Because even Kathy doesn't want to admit that I'm older than her mother. Her mother won't even admit it. Thank God, her mother's not saying anything. Exactly. She's, well, not thank God that she's gone. Just that she can't tell anybody how old I am. So, um, so uh, what, what is it? Is bathing in the blood of virgins that keep you so? So uh, angelically young, right? There you go. Either that or Epstein's Island. <laughs> yeah, I sleep like Rosie the Shark in Australia. In formaldehyde. In formaldehyde. But the fumes around our building are so are so hot, hot that you really can't come around. So when you're not um, snorting rhino uh, horn, what, so you what, you're you're practicing your chops as a young kid, and you yeah. get to meet Buddy, and uh, oh, you've yeah. always had you've always had great hair. So let's so I'm guessing yeah. Buddy keyed into that. Yes, but let's see. Okay, so like I was saying, there, there are actual, actually two real meetings of the of Greg Potter and the Buddy Rich. They're like ten years apart. So the first time I meet Buddy Rich, I'm like ten years old. I'm a child. My father takes me down to. I know your show is worldwide. See, I'm an international star. You have a little radio show here in uh, Oklahoma. Or something. But, um, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. Listen, we're listen. I'm, well, that's a, it's. A, but getting back to or wherever we, you're you're a Southside guy, right? Yes, I'm. A, I'm from Midway Airport. Midway Airport, perfect. Then, okay. And actually, my um, radio show is broadcast. In Terminal 6, only at Midway Airport. That's, I broadcast no, from the bathroom. I have a studio. No. no. We're, we're going to get you a COVID test in about three minutes. <laughs> yeah. Don't say terminal. We're old. Yeah, we're alive. Yeah. <laughs> Ask Kathy's mom. Okay. So this first meeting with the great Buddy Rich, I'm like 10 years, 9 or 10 years old. How old? I, I, the age of, yeah, I was actually 35. But, right. But you, you okay, passed but, for 10. Okay. I passed for 10. And... Um, but no, the reason I brought up like sh- Chicago is because when I drop this name of this joint, you're going to go like Potter. This this show is uh, you know in Bangkok. But we don't know about a place called Mister Kelly's in uh, Chicago. World right? famous, world, world but, but famous. legendary, Every, right? So um, my father takes me down there. I'm a young, I'm a child. I mean, because basically I was a child even when I was 38. So I'm thinking of me at about nine or ten years old. I'm a little guy. My dad takes me, walks me up to the door. They look at him. I mean, back then you didn't have, you know, quite the rules that you have. So my dad must have paid him something. 
but they look, you know, they're like, hey, man, you got to keep the kid in the back. Don't let him near the bar. Because you know <laughs> right. what a drinker I was. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I see him play. When he's done, he walks off the stage and he goes to the men's room, like backstage or somewhere. He walks out into the audience and goes like right up the stairs to the like the men's room where all the people are. I mean, I made Kathy drive me to a gas station when we play a gig just so I don't use the bathroom with the people because they would see really how old I am. And right, right. And you're like, God, who's this little man standing next to me with the wig? Oh, it's <laughs> okay, but so Buddy, so Buddy walks right by us and up to the you know upstairs where the men's room. My dad goes, "Let's go meet him." But you know, I mean, you're a little kid, so you just follow your dad. So we follow Buddy into the men's room. Now Buddy's at that point already, you know, taking care of business, standing at a what you do in the men's room. Right, he's at the urinal. Yeah, yeah, he's taking, you know, he's he's taking care of it. What I you have to say that he's what that's what he was doing. <laughs> he's taking a piss. All right. What? He had a prostitute. Talking <laughs> in the men's room. Yeah, and my dad paid for it. <laughs> that's how he got you in the show. Right, there it is. So, um, my dad taps him on the shoulder. As like he's urinating. As he's shooting my dad. Oh, that's great. But he turns and goes, could you give me a minute? <laughs> you know, something like that. <laughs> Shopping. Right. But again, I'm a, I'm a little kid. So I still, you know, nowadays I can't even go into, you know, a McDonald's with my dad. Cause I, I yell at him the whole time. Cause right. you know, but when you're a kid, you don't yell back at your dad. Like, Hey, this is kind of weird. Don't do this. So, buddy, okay, so buddy finishes, watches his hands, turns to me, and my, you know, he goes, can I help you? You know, he's 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 not happy at this point. Right. And he goes, um, can I help you guys there? Can I help you? And I'm standing there. And before my dad opens his mouth, something to like, you know, yeah, my son. And before he could finish, buddy looks at me, puts his hand on my head and goes, I know. He's been playing the drum since he's been this tall. Mm -hmm. Tapped me on the head. <laughs> So my dad at that point, you know, I guess knows, okay, this isn't working. I have to, I had a little, I had a picture of Buddy, I, and he, I'm standing there holding it. I said, well, you know, and I think my dad said, well, could you sign this for him? I didn't really say much to the great Buddy Rich at this point. Um, so my dad hands him a pen. Of course, the pen doesn't write. <laughs> years old. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take one of your prized possessions. I'm going to take them both. <laughs> I'm going to take your daughter and your band. Your daughter and your band. There you I go. Your daughter and your wife. Oh, you took her too? I, made that. I took her. I had like... I made that. Well, I used to go to Kathy's mom's house in Palm Springs. I would, I would go there and fix. I would because her mom anything, anything that needed to. I mean, like I worked on her mom that way because I wasn't going to impress her <laughs> drumming wise. No, so I, I mean her mom would. You know, like I don't know. The first time we were in Palm Springs, I, I fixed my blinds. Fixed, I fixed like her Venetian blinds or something because I'm like a Mister Whatever. So I won her over that way because even Kathy will tell you her mom liked nobody. <laughs> she liked three, three people. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to be a jerk, but she didn't even like Buddy Rich. <laughs> you, would, you would ask her mom, could you name three Buddy she Rich? She wouldn't know. She wouldn't know. No. The, the woman loved Gene Krupa. Right. So, <laughs> that had to be tough, yeah. Okay. 
so um, I didn't say anything to Buddy like, if you only knew, you would punch. It'd kind of be like in the Terminator. You'd have to kill little John Connor early on because he's scored, you know, as we just watched Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. You should have killed baby Milo when you had the chance. And that one became Caesar, and now he's taken over the world. So Buddy should have probably looked at me and went. He should have killed you then. He should have pushed me down the stairs is what he should have done or broke my arm or something. So You'll never play again, kid. Yeah. yeah, so I met so I met Buddy Rich. He did sign that picture. I still have it. I I keep it at my mom's house because Kathy will will rip it up and say, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she'll try to get rid of it. Oh, that's so funny. I got that original autograph, but that would have been when I was ten. So then fast forward to ten years later in the eighties, I'm already playing with Steve Dahl. I'm sponsored by the Slingerland Drum Company. And Buddy Rich is playing right in Berwyn, Illinois. So you know where that is. He's at the Berwyn Summerfest. So I think it was Sam Giotti from Slingerland goes, hey, we're going to see Buddy. Because, you know, even though at that point Buddy's playing Ludwig drums, he's uh, he's still in with the, you know, he's everybody, the Slingerland people. So they're like, hey, we're going to see Buddy, you know, if you come out. Because I always wanted to, like, meet him, like, well, ever since I was ten, I or I, I still wanted to meet him. Whatever. So I got to meet. Not him in a bathroom. A, not in a men's room. Not not right. Not in a men's room in downtown Chicago at two in the morning. Right. But um, so I I got to Berwyn Summerfest, and I you know he played and just you know the magic of that, and I did get to meet him, and at that point. You could see that picture that has shown up in, mm-hmm. you know, from Modern Drummer and Vic Firth. Well, I mean, me standing with Buddy, the man wouldn't even look me in the eyes. He looked at me, looked at my hair, and said, nice hair, kid. And again, I wanted an autograph because I'm like a total Buddy Rich groupie. Right. If you look in the picture, he's not even looking at me. He's signing this piece of paper. I think it was a backstage pass. He's signing it, not even looking at me, looking past me, talking to someone, asking for snare drum heads. He was asking everyone in line, like these guys from Slingerland, it was on a Sunday afternoon, so they're like, we have nothing, we can't get you any drum heads. But basically, Buddy could care less beating me. So I met him two times, and again... I didn't know at that time what I had in store for his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that amazing, though? You never thought. Yeah, how could you? How could you even dream of that? You know. Exactly. And actually, even Kathy didn't know what I had in store for her at that point. She probably no, I, still doesn't. I really don't. She's, Every no. day is a surprise, Mike. I tell you. Now I'll let I'll let her tell you a few stories. But yes, I did get to meet yeah. Buddy. Um, again, what I've told people is that when I did get to shake his hand, I couldn't believe that his hands were soft like a lady's. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, like, did you ever, did you ever meet a no calluses? Yeah, no you know, like, you, you, well, your friends with Carmine, say like Carmen Apathy. You yeah. shake that man's hands, it's like the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> I mean, he's a very nice guy, but I mean, these their hands, uh, Tommy Aldridge, I believe, too, like, they have this, you know, like, their hands are Calcy. just... Yes, oh, yeah. I shook Buddy's hands. The guy not only had a manicure, and his nails were, like, you know... Shiny. Shiny and perfect, but his hands were soft. Yeah. I, I just, to me, you know... Because he knew how to play the right way. 
Oh, whatever. <laughs> now, now, Greg, are your hands? Because I've shaken your hand, and then they're not—they're not like Keith Richard claws when or anything I like that. Greg, his hands were so callousy you couldn't even touch them. Really? Now, they are soft. He doesn't have those anymore. It's no, the magic I, of the I, Buddy I, Rich I, catalog. I drums. That's I, I it. Realize, yes, I've taken. I mean, and I'm allowed to touch Kathy. <laughs> Every other Wednesday. Every other Wednesday. On odd months. So that would be if you, you know, one, three, five, seven. So you, but I'm saying, yes, my hands, I I really, it is, it's an amazing, um, it's amazing. Well, yeah, just a, a metamorphosis of the of the playing. Yeah, and it's true. You really do have to let that stick float in your hand. Let the, I mean, all this stuff is drumming cliche, but if you're any drummers out there, letting that rebound bounce. I mean, all those things that Buddy was an absolute master of. Right. I'm not saying that I mastered it, but I'm saying no, I do not have those ridiculous big blood blistery. Right. And um, unfortunately, you do still see guys out there it's like they're uh oh yeah and if you think about it too how many videos do you watch of the great buddy rich you never see that guy break sticks i'm not saying that he doesn't break them or hasn't broken them they are made of wood and they're not but know, not very often but not no very not often, often right like really snap sticks like mm-hmm. you know like i was known to do in my early days which... what, you know the first time i met now, now my house is you know there's a portion of my room that's a shrine to buddy rich all his albums uh i i never got to meet him but i knew barrett deems from my time in jazz radio and barrett of course knew buddy and right. before barrett passed away he uh he said mike my boy i want you to have these things and he gave me a picture of gene krupa himself and your father yes. and they had all signed it but but Gene and Buddy signed it to him, and then he signed it to me. So I have that, and I also have a oh, a Louis oh, Armstrong wow. photograph that he wrote. He wrote an autograph to Barrett, and Barrett signed it to me. So I have two oh, wow. two Barrett wow. from Louis, and then yeah. So those are keepsakes. I never got to see Buddy, and so the funny thing was, I always talked about you know to my wife. I said Greg Potter, who used to do drum solos on my morning radio show. I said, he's now in the Buddy Rich big band and, and he and Kathy are together. And I said, and Kathy is, is Buddy's daughter. And I, and my wife would be like, that's awesome. You know? So when we, when I first met Kathy, the first thing Kathy Rich, Buddy Rich's daughter says to me is Mike Tomano, I've heard so much about you. And I kind of looked at my wife and said, you see that? You see that I'm a celebrity, but yeah, but being born into the world as the only child of uh, the daughter of Buddy Rich that had to be a whirlwind from the beginning. I mean, you you were brought up in show business, and so you know when you struck out on your own. He, I mean, you know, you know, you could watch videos of your father. He's beaming when he sees his little princess, and you're up there singing as a young girl. And then, yeah. as you grew into becoming a singer and starting to get noticed as a singer, and you were acting and modeling. Yep. Was your father both a little bit apprehensive about you getting in the business? Did he give you some sage advice if you were going to continue on? You know, it's interesting. He he was for anything that I wanted to do. I mean, whatever harebrained scheme I could come up with, he was 100% <laughs> for it. He was like, as long as it makes you happy. You know, he was that guy. So as far as being supportive, he there was no one more supportive. He was the best at that. Right. Great, just a great parent because didn't stop me from going out in the world and doing things, you know. Um, 
sort of instilled in me to have no fear. You know, you, whatever it is that you want to do, just go out there and do it. Do and it. that that was the best advice I think he could have ever given me. Yeah. How do you think? How do you think Buddy Rich would feel that all of that, all of that loving care? All roads led to Potter. <laughs> well, that's you know that brings up a good question because <laughs> you may hey you may be Buddy's karma too. That was that's Buddy Rich's karma, Greg Potter. There it is. But now now Kathy, so that brings up a good point. When you were when you were you know getting you're becoming a teenager and maybe you're yeah. you're, you're starting to date, it had to be really intimidating for a boy to walk into the uh, Rich household. It was it was definitely interesting. The I started sort of dating later, but when I was twelve years old, and that's really young. And, <laughs> oh boy, you don't want to hear this story. When I was twelve years old, I I went to London for the first time, and we were staying at a, at a very posh hotel. And one evening, the three of us, Buddy had a night off, and my mom and dad and I came down in the elevator, and there was this young man who jumped out of a chair and came running over to Buddy, you know, just like, oh my God, I can't believe it's you, and I've been waiting for two days to meet you, and meanwhile, the people in the lobby are throwing him out the front door. And my dad's like, no, 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 let him stay, it's fine, it's fine. So that young guy turned out to be Carl Palmer. Wow. Yes. And Carl and I struck up a friendship at that point in time. And it kind of lasted sort of throughout my life up until, you know, I finally got married. And, you know, then we just kind of became friends after that. But Carl was like the first love that I ever had. And it started from 12 years old. Now, Buddy was not real happy about that. (laughs) So it was, it was interesting that, you know, he kind of filtered in and out of my life for a really long time. And we're still friends to this day, but you know, it's interesting. I never really dated because he was like the only one I ever really thought of, you know, way too young for him. He was like, 10 years older than me or whatever but you know it, it's interesting so wow. not only not only do i take her from the bosom of buddy rich <laughs> but i romantically ruin her for carl palmer <laughs> her and i go and where were we but we carl was there we, we went to see him we went to see him at like some one of his gigs right yeah he's like you know swamped by all these drumming fans and all these people he looks past them all, looks at Kathy, and looks at me and points. You. You are the reason she moved to Chicago. (laughs) I mean, think of that. So, How did he know that? Not only how did he know that, but my whole life, too. I mean, I was a big Carl Palmer fan. Sure. Now to Kathy. No, no, yes. But I mean, I was a big Carl Palmer fan. I have that picture of me playing that stainless steel Ludwig Octopus stuff like his. Um, I mean, so I was a big fan of his, but yes, for the, so I and I had met him like throughout my career, but meeting drummers when you're standing next to Kathy Rich, you should be a part of that whole excitement. Yeah, I bet. Men that wouldn't even have talked to me, people that like actually would spit <laughs> on me as I walked by. If you're standing next to Kathy, they actually come to my car and open the door. Mr. Potter, how are you? Yeah, look at that. 
Oh, my That's God, I didn't funny. realize Phil Ehart liked me that much. <laughs> Phil Ehart. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, 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 actually, Phil Ehart's not one of them. He's a nice guy. I, he's a very nice guy, and yeah. he's not one that, like, turncoated on me. I, I, I can't mention no. any names. Well, okay. you know, you know, Carl Palmer is definitely uh, in the lineage of the Buddy Rich guys, and so is Ian, oh, yeah. Ian Pace of uh, oh, Deep Purple, who is just Pace. a monster <laughs> drummer. Like the greatest, we love Ian Pace so yeah. much. He came out and played with us uh, when we were in London two years ago at Ronnie Scott's. He spent the week with us and was our special guest. And just you know, just an English gentleman, great sense of humor, great player, and just you know, we're like so close with him now that you know we you know we made him do horrendous things in the dressing room, mm-hmm. do weird photo shoots <laughs> and videos. I mean, the man probably had never been asked to do these things in his life. Oh, I'm sure he's been asked to do a few you things. Know what I mean. <laughs> he he is yeah. in deep purple. He could probably yeah. tell you what, a few what you, stories. Well, yeah, what do you think woman from Tokyo is about? <laughs> <laughs> what, what is about a geisha girl or what? That's How about a thing? He was <laughs> such a lovely man no, to he us. Is. Yeah. And well, anytime that we can work with him, we, we love him. How about Carl Palmer? Are you able to work with him? No. <laughs> well, there's a little jealousy on Greg's part here, I'm seeing. All right. Okay. No, Carl, I don't know. I'm not going to go. Yeah, we, we can't go in. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're getting a lot of personal <laughs> no, no, no. I, am not, I am not jealous of anyone but her father. There you go. You I know, mean, when, when, when Buddy and Buddy kept big bands on the road, when other bands were just saying, we can't do this anymore. And one of the really interesting things that um, that I tune into in Buddy's catalog, which a lot of people may dismiss, but for me, it's really the golden age is the the roar of '74, um, the big band machine. When he was starting to take charts from the popular rock bands of the time, yeah. that really that music resonates with me, like very, in a very special way. That was his idea when he put the band together in 1966. Everyone told him he was out of his mind. I mean, he was working with Harry James, becoming the world's highest paid sideman at that point. And everyone was saying, you've got this cushy gig. You know, you're home all the time. You don't have to travel. You know, you're making a lot of money. And he was like, I don't care about any of that. He said, I don't want to be a sideman. I'm the leader. And so when he put that band together, literally, including my mother, who was like, you're out of your mind, you know, to even be thinking about this. But he had a vision and, you know, he wanted to make a big band contemporary. Right. And, you know, picking songs, you know, I like to think I had a little bit to do with the material because I was listening to all that stuff at the time. Right. And, you know, so I would play him the latest Beatles album and the Doors and, you know, whatever. And, you know, he took to it. Yeah. And that band was never about nostalgia. It was always about what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And they take, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar charts, uh, stuff from Tommy. And that, that those recordings are just on fire. And your dad was and great at Jesus picking Christ, sidemen. That Jesus Christ Superstar was because that was my favorite show. And because I got the album before it was even a Broadway show, it was a record, and Ian Gillen was the singer. Sure. And so I, that started my love of Ian Gillen and Deep Purple and all that stuff. So I made him do that Jesus Christ Superstar 
because I was in love with Ian Gillen. See, you're directly okay, responsible so for some of my favorite records. Responsible for that, yeah, because of the men that I had crushes on. <laughs> <laughs> Ian let's, Gillen. Let's move, that, let's, yeah, let's move that. Let's move that a little forward into the. Uh, into the Greg Potter era. <laughs> Greg, you are up against Ian Gillen and Carl Palmer. So, right. so I'm hoping you, I'm wait, hoping we wait, make wait, it to the wait, end wait, of the wait, interview. It's it so it crazy. Better. It gets crazy. Who's going to tell it? Am I going to tell it? I'm the star. <laughs> <laughs> I had it. Let me. I'm, I'm flash forward like 300 years, and oh, come on, let me. Wait, no, let me tell you when Greg is living in Transylvania in his castle, yes, exactly. I'm 117 years 117, old. 17. He's coming down the steps of Count Cadmus Dracula. Count <laughs> Dracula. My mother Dracula. <laughs> so wait. So now we're two years ago. Now, mind you. Throughout my whole life, I've had this mad crush on Ian Gillen. You know, I, the greatest voice, the greatest. Blah, sure. Blah, blah. So we're with Ian Pace at Ronnie Scott's, and I say to Ian Pace one night, "Do you think your singer will come to see you?" And he's like, well, "I don't know. You know, it's pretty, you know, reclusive, and you know, he doesn't really go out that much, and blah blah blah." He's in Portugal. He lives in Portugal, and you know, he sometimes comes to London. Blah blah blah. So we opened on a Monday night. Who came that first night? Right. Oh, yes, he did. Who did he come to see? Us. No, no, no. Who did he come to see? <laughs> Rod Stewart. That watch that. In any case, so that's Monday night. Wednesday night, I'm in the dressing room. And someone comes back and says, Ian Gillen is supposed to come to the first set. Mm. So now I'm flipping out and I go out singing, I'm doing whatever, blah, blah, blah. And come to find out he wasn't there. So I'm like, okay, disappointment. And we finished the set, second set, whatever. I'm in the dressing room, kind of changing slowly, getting ready to go back to the hotel. And our roadie comes in and just kind of, Matter of fact, he says, "Oh, Ian Gillen's out there." I'm like, what? Wow! <laughs> I go running out the door, and I'm already sitting having a glass of champagne with him. No one came to tell me. <laughs> Ian Gillian was quite excited by seeing the performance mm. that uh, I had I had presented that evening. Along with, uh, <laughs> some vocal seamstress. Uh, Long story short, <laughs> we like sit with Ian Gillen for the rest of the evening, just talking yes. and, and like, very nice, the very greatest guy again. Yeah. So you can take it from there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Toss it over to me. Bottom line is Kathy. I mean, I mean um, as you've been following us along here, many of these singers like because buddy played with Frank Sinatra and all these singers, Rod Stewart, Right. Actually, we can go back even further. I know I, Wait, I think. Yes, I don't want. I don't want to go back too far and bring back this old romance. But there was a time prior to his death that Kathy and I, because uh, Kathy knows. Did Kathy tell you the story that she actually introduced Emerson Lake and Palmer to Emerson Lake and Palmer? Really? I introduced yeah. Carl to Keith Emerson. There you go. She introduced Carl to Keith. Tell him that. That might be a good. If That's a want. good story. We went to see. I had. I was a fan of English rock, obviously. Right. And Carl was in New York, and I was in New York at the time. I think I was fifteen, and I told him. I said, one of my favorite bands is playing at the Fillmore. We should go. And he said, Who is that? And I said, A band called The Nice. Mm -hmm. And I said I was a real big fan of Keith Emerson because he would play and he'd take out the dagger and he'd stamp the organ and whatever. So. We went to see the Nice together and went backstage and met Keith and Carl was introduced to Keith and that's how it all started. Wow. 
There you go. That's one for the history books. That's and, excellent. And then we fast forward, what, like 106 years later, we met, or um, Kathy knew him already, but she took me and introduced me to Greg Lake. Wow. And, and Greg Lake, um, he would be like the first guy. He talked about interest about coming and doing something with the, the Buddy Rich Band. Oh. And I jokingly throw back, well, why don't we just put the band back together and call it Emerson, Lake, and Potter? Kathy, oh. he said yes. He said he wanted. He, he said that's a great. Idea. I, that's a great idea. I because I told him about the Emerson Lake and Powell. T- you know, I, I remember that, and of course, yeah. And unfortunately, God rest all their souls. Yes. But I guess they don't. They didn't get along well with Carl. No, they didn't. With Carl Palmer, Carl was hard to get along. Hard to get, but whatever. There was actually an inkling. That it could there have been, would have been an Emerson Lake and Potter. There would have been an Emerson Lake and Potter. He said, "I was." He goes, "I'll definitely." You know, I'd love to do it. Try. So, I would love that. But I he was going to come and be a guest with the band, right? And oh. then unfortunately, he got sick, and the rest is history. Right. And then, yeah. then we have the Rod Stewart. The, the Rod Stewart wanted angle. to do it. But let's get back to Ian Gillen. So he's in. He's sitting at Ronnie Scott's. Um, and he sees the band and yeah, he loves just, the band, he just loves the whole thing, loves the concept, whatever. Um, fast forward a couple of months. fast forward a couple of months. They come to Chicago, deep purple. We go to dinner with Ian Gillen. Just the three of us. Just the three of us. So Kathy's in a coma, but I've got to go on dates with her. Who knows? We haven't even told you the Gene Simmons story. Oh Lord. It goes on and it on. Goes like everywhere we go, they <laughs> dangle a job to Potter and then try to steal his woman. Yeah. It's the most unbelievable thing you'd ever. But that's the Gene Simmons. Crush. But Ian Gillen at but dinner. He, at dinner, Kathy goes. You know, he's like, you know, I really enjoyed the band, and and you know, I'll take that in. I'll and he sp- said, I wanted to jump up on stage and sing and with you. Sing guys. with you. And I said, Why didn't you tell somebody or let me know? We would have done something together. And then I said. Would you ever have an interest of doing something with us? And he was before I could even get it out of my mouth, he was saying, Absolutely, let's mm. put it together, let's do it. So we are now then of course COVID hit and blah blah blah. But what we were gonna do for the man has never sung a note of Jesus Christ Superstar since, since he recorded he the recorded album. Buddy recorded Jesus Christ Superstar. Right. Stick it? Stick it album? Uh, no, it was a uh, different drummer. Different drummer. Different drummer. Right. Okay, so Buddy recorded it. We were going to, we, I mean, we're still in the planning stages. We're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to hopefully record Jesus Christ Superstar with, with, Ian with the Buddy Rich Band, mm. Ian Dillon singing with Kathy. Yes. And so think of that now. So not only did, should Buddy have poked me in the friggin' gut <laughs> with a with a broom handle or something when I was nine but he should have at least punched me square in the jaw at 20 when I met him at Berwyn Summerfest right because now I'm gonna I'm gonna possibly re-record one of his number so you're gonna re-record possibly yes yes Uh. we so we were gonna or or, I mean like I said we're within the planning stages of it it's just a matter of with the COVID and the you know to do a Frank Sinatra duet with with me right um I yeah. get a kick from you. Right. So I'm saying we, we've really taken this band where... Which is what we wanted to do. What, what we originally said. No one ever said, or no, uh, Kathy or me, we never said, oh, we're going to... Uh, the next Buddy Rich or we're going to Buddy Rich. and You know, I mean, no one's going to replace Buddy Rich. I don't care what you see on the internet. No, no one's going to watch one of his videos and learn how to play a role with your left hand no. and go, oh my God, I'm Buddy Rich. No right. one's going to replace that. Right. But I'm saying to really get out there and do, I mean, realistically, I mean, Kathy can look in, uh, Kathy can uh, confirm what I'm going to say, but when Buddy 
unfortunately came to an untimely demise. demise. The man, he was, his next album was going to be produced by Phil Collins. You remember mm. that man? Yeah. So, I mean, Buddy was not going to just go out at 69, 70 years old playing Love for Sale. I nope. mean, if Phil Collins would have produced his album, which was going to be done, imagine what kind of... Uh, uh, probably a pop hit would have come out of it. Sure. Something that would have brought him to the masses because realistically, the young people that know Buddy or the younger people that knew Buddy was from that Muppet show appearance. Right. I mean, meet people, Kathy meets people. People say our age remember the Johnny Carson show, but then when you meet people that were well, the Muppet Show, the, the Muppet, Muppet Show, show the, right. you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm saying, imagine then in the 1980s, you would have had an album produced by Phil Collins, who at the time. And who would have sung. Oh, he would have sung, but he would have played, but imagine what could have been written. Sure. But, uh, imagine how that would have catapulted Buddy, say, into just the, the pop world. You know, the pop world, which was really untouched by the man, because realistically, his drumming touched everybody. But musically, you don't really, you don't hum a Buddy Rich song. You know? Right. It was, it was, it was for a jazz audience. But, but what you're doing yeah. is taking the uh, template that he had in the '70s and the '60s to bring it yeah. to a younger audience, and you, you guys are keeping that alive now. It's, it's, it's amazing. Now, when you look at the, the Buddy Rich catalog and the charts, how how do you, I mean, you're kind of hinting at it by, you know, what, what you're talking about with the future endeavors, but how do you, when you're going to put the band together and go on tour, how do you put together the uh, set list? Well, interestingly, at this point, we have a, an album that was released um, a year ago, and it was Buddy's last recordings recorded at Ronnie Scott's. Right. In London in 86, 86. Like literally four months before he passed away. And they had held on to these tapes for the, literally the last 35 years. And finally, after struggle after struggle of trying to get this thing released, we finally did it. And we sat in the studio and mixed and cried and cried and mixed and, you know, just tried to come up with... The album is absolutely unbelievable. On fire, yeah. yeah you, so we are now touring and playing the tunes that are on that album because right. they're all incredible all written by buddy's musical director at the time who is still with us matt harris and uh, so that's that's what this next leg is going to be is that we're going to tour with the tunes from that record yeah now yeah. when uh, no yeah. greg when you're when you're you know approaching the throne of buddy rich i mean you are driving his big band legacy and you know buddy obviously for those who are passive you know viewers or or listeners he's known for his bombast and his amazing amazing drum solos but he was really an accomplished accompanist i mean when you look at the stuff he did in the small groups with lionel mm -hmm. hampton and art tatum there's a there's a reserve that if you didn't know it was him from looking at the album cover and you only knew him from the johnny carson performances you would never have guessed that that was that this subtle nuance playing was indeed Buddy Rich. And do you have to balance that when you hit the stage or do you kind of just go for it? Well, like I said, at no point do I think I'm anywhere near that level of brilliance or that level of playing. But what I look at or, what, you know, what you, you try to do, because remember, we're, I'm doing this all out of a the respect level for that guy. Like I was saying, I'm not saying that if you're in a Beatles tribute band or you're, you know, you're putting yeah. on white face and doing, um, doing the kiss tribute that you're not being respectful to them. But when you see things like that, you're actually emulating 
Paul McCartney or Gene Simmons. So you're going to, you're going to learn to play your bass left-handed. Uh, or if you're Gene, you're going to learn how to stick your tongue out with this buddy rich thing. I'm not, I'm not sitting there trying to catch every nuance of buddy's playing, but getting back to what you were saying, yes, that man's ability to hold that time. Cause realistically, that's what you are in that band. You're the timekeeper. Um, but Buddy Rich, either, you know, driving the songs or backing up a soloist or so that's I'm really thinking about that more so than how am I going to come out and do a Buddy Rich drum solo. solo. Right, I mean, I right. noticed that we do. I mean, yes, when you look at those charts, there are basically drum solos in every chart. In every chart. <laughs> I mean, could we talk to Matt Harris, who actually penned uh, half this album when he tells you about how buddy wanted something written he said you know make it short pop with a drum solo yeah i mean he told you right up front i want to so i'm saying and you have to do that i'm not saying you come see the buddy rich band if not that kathy hasn't had every drummer in the world sit in with that band but realistically you want to see some uh, bombastic drumming and sure and yeah. I, I, but there's a also going back to what Mike was saying is that there's an art to being an accompanist. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know to know when to lay back when someone's soloing, to know how to play behind a singer. Um, you know, it's a whole other thing. And most people, when they think of Buddy, they think of this loud, you know, blaring big band drummer. Right. But he couldn't play the way he did if he didn't have a tenderness right. and. An emotion because he would say you know music is emotional and you know every night you have a different audience that you're playing to so you're not going to play the same way every night it's going to be different because there's a different vibe in the room there's a different you know there's a different group of people so if you're playing the exact same thing every night you're not creating yeah and you're, you're telling the story to different people and That's you know it. it's funny we were, were talking about the subtlety and the nuance that he had and the restraint uh, Steve Gatt, I forgot what the what the he was talking about an album that your dad did where he played mostly brushes and that that mm-hmm. that's his favorite Buddy Rich stuff, you know. Right. Yeah. So when you when you look at the you know you don't expect it. You yeah. don't expect that level of emotion and tenderness, you know, to to be coming out of him. But that's you know he was an emotional man. Yeah, and he loved music, and he, and loved, he loved music. music. Exactly. That's the and thing. He was a genius at at putting things together. You yeah. know how he how he approached a piece of music. You know, it wasn't just by happenstance, you know, yeah. he really thought and went into it. Yeah, see, that's where Buddy, say Buddy Rich and I, that's where we're different. Buddy played for the song, <laughs> I played for me. When I go out there, I don't care about I figure if Kathy bought me this band and is paying those musicians, you just sit there and listen to me play. I'll do what I want. If you guys could fit in that rotten saxophone, which, I mean, what grown man still plays a trombone? Isn't that a children's instrument? Isn't that something you would see in, like, in a side show? <laughs> Says the drummer. Yes, yes. I mean, I mean, and then a trumpet player, please, push something in your mouth so hard that your teeth get I've got ten thousand dollars worth of dental work. I'm not going to certainly mess up my face. So that's what's important with me and my drumming and coming to play with the Buddy Rich Band. How does Potter look? It's all about Greg. That's how what. That's right. His, how does his hair look? How does he smile? Does his shirt fit properly? Right, right. Check out the threads. Right, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, that that seems to be more important. Are they the opposite of what it should be? Oh, you mean I'm messing up? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's it. Uh, we've been doing it for quite a while. So yes, I, we're, we must be doing something, right? Yeah, because but, but people still want to come see us. And I that, get to that's right. Those alumni players, I mean, the men that really sat there and yes. really played with Buddy, so they don't really let me, they wouldn't let they wouldn't allow it. They would have said something to me. Right. Right. They wouldn't allow this to go to get out of hand. So, like, getting back to your original, um, yeah, I, I get out there and I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, paying that homage to Buddy because, right, people wouldn't come there if you were – you know, when you see like a high school orchestra play through a Buddy Rich chart, you know, it's like that's what it sounds. Like. That's what it right. sounds. Like. And that's how easy because you could actually see uh, advanced the uh, advanced musicians try to play through this stuff. It It is one of the toughest. It's I, the I, toughest book there is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be like an actor trying to, you know, I'm sure they're a great television star and they were great on. Uh, they can't do Shakespeare. They can't do Shakespeare. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm sure Netflix signed them to a 12 picture deal. And he's gonna he's gonna be great but if you gave him an actual piece of shakespeare or let's do some dramatic acting and i'm gonna say buddy rich is the shakespeare of drumming yeah. it yeah. really separates you from um just any nuance not nuance but uh cliche kind of hey you know swing this swing yeah. that you listen to buddy that man's concept of time the way he was able to because realistically he's playing what a ride cymbal a hi-hat and a bass drum. Yeah. Four pieces. He's not giving you the Carl Palmer. Uh, 40 drums. 40 drums with the bell. Get pulling the bell with his mouth and hitting two dragon gongs. Right. I'm not saying Carl Palmer is not the best. He's fantastic. No, look, he's, throw, he's throwing digs at him, Kath. He's jealous. I know. He's jealous. I, I am. I, but I, but I, you're I, right. But Buddy Rich, and Buddy Rich had a left hand that had its own brain. So we get, yeah, that's yeah, a whole, yeah. that's, there's books that could be written on that. Yeah, you know, sure. with, the, with the legendary, you know, Buddy Rich Memorial Concert, that was kind of, Kathy, when you, uh, you know, your father passed away and you dedicated your, your professional life, it seemed, yeah. to carrying on his legacy. And those, the concert series that came about is the Buddy Rich Memorials. There have been some of the greatest performances of drummers in yes. a musical situation of all time. I'm I'm going back and thinking of some of my favorites. Obviously, Steve Gadd is one of my right. He's such a musical player. And Greg Bissonette, there's a video of him. He's rocking the mullet, you know, and he does such a beautiful, beautiful play uh, to the... I forgot what the song is now, but... I think he does Time Check. Yeah, ti- yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, not that I not that I study the video or look at it or anything. <laughs> how, about but, that, how about that pearl double bass kit with the white hardware? And the, you know, the there you go. Yes. David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth. Yeah. Right. David Lee Roth yeah. Or, yeah. So, yes, there are other that show. That show from 1989 was like, yeah, you know, it's still today. You know, like the greatest drum show because you had the greatest players in the world, and then they all played together. And, you know, it was sort of the first of its kind yeah. at that point. But So you're saying then, that Kathy actually invented the drum festival. And they were pretty much. Yeah. yeah. First one, I was have the first a one. bunch of drummers yes. sit up and, I mean, I guess. Yeah. To play music of someone else. Yes. Yeah. So now it's like everybody does it. And, you know, and I am no, I, I'm a drummer, but I am, there's no way I'm going to criticize anyone. But when you talk about. Oh, playing do. big bands okay and, well no but but, but listen well first of all neil peart i know is part of your family but yeah. watching his first attempt because here's a guy who was from progressive rock yeah. and watching his first attempt i think it was was it the burning for buddy documentary or or maybe it was no it was with your with the big band at the, memorial, the memorial concert, concert. 
positive at the Ritz. 91 at the Ritz. He seemed to be struggling. and It and, was painful. Yeah, was and then painful. I watched Dennis Chambers, and it was like yeah. Dennis was playing kind of for himself and not for right. – and, and so these yeah. were things that I watched, and I'm like – I think it's, it's so, so Greg, here's you coming out of, you know, pop and rock and you're playing with Joe Walsh and, and playing from hell. Yeah. I saw it. So it was, was jazz a part. He came from the depths of, so you sold your soul to Satan when you became a vampire and that's how you got to be able to play jazz. 300 years ago. Leave Kathy out of this. (laughs) Um, Well, yes. I mean, if you go back, you know, um, we've taken the Wikipedia page down, um, but if you go back, I mean, I did, you know, there's more to my, there was a reason why when I did play with things like Steve Dahl and Teenage Radiation, or you saw me with whatever rock bands, because I, I think I played in every Chicago rock band there was. Every one. 1980 through 1998. Yeah. I would go see Holland and be like, hey, there's Greg Potter. I would go see uh, Enough's Enough. Hey, there's Greg Potter. You know? it be, right. It became a it became a thing that if, if your band lost its drummer on Wednesday, by, by Friday, Potter could learn your set, already have a new drum set made, a new haircut, and and. Have have all your songs done. But, you know, but then it would always be, I mean, thank God video wasn't that available because I could remember you, I go to these gigs. It would be like, you couldn't even, I couldn't remember. I just did that. You, you came to the, um, to the Donnie V event. Yes. Same deal. That, 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 that gig I, that came up, I think I rehearsed one time and played 17 songs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a gig tomorrow night with a band from Chicago oh, called the Baked Potatoes. Once I said Donnie, be there. <laughs> yeah, are you Did there? You? Hello? Oh. Hello? I didn't hang up on the Donnie V. I, I apologize. I don't know. I think it's your phone. Where did I lose you? Uh, well, we were just talking about Donnie V when you played in February. Oh, I'm just saying that, that, that would just be an example of where... I get a call on, on when Friday, on, a, on a Wednesday you do the gig. Or right. Yeah, you know, I mean, I get like a week. I get about a week to learn someone's whole life's catalog. <laughs> I mean, like, where you said you came out to see me with Holland, that I got to practice at least a couple of times. But you know, I'm, I'm playing in a band. I, unfortunately, I didn't have. I'm not unfortunately, but it was a different version of that Holland band. Michael Badio was gone, and they had Alex Kane, who was also <laughs> a wonderful player, but learning those songs like they were involved you know what i mean it wasn't quite like the teenage radiation thing where you just played yeah the pop hits yeah well yeah i mean that was a little bit that was a bit easier but um yeah that's that that i played with everybody but getting back to what had happened with the, the buddy rich band throughout high school I was always involved in the music programs and music education. So I throughout high school and then in college where, you know, I also studied jazz was, it was, it was in the background because I can't say I wanted to grow up to be the drummer in Maynard Ferguson's band. Right. Although I was a great big fan of like Danny Serafin from Chicago. Peter or Erskine. Peter Erskine with mm-hmm. Maynard Ferguson yeah. or um, Bobby Columbia with Blood, Sweat and Tears. But you and I both know growing up at the time we grew up, you wanted to be 
you wanted to be Peter Chris or you wanted to be yeah. Tommy Aldridge or you wanted to be, um, I mean, I didn't necessarily want to be that, but I'm saying I was certainly more interested sure. in playing Madison Square Garden, uh, Carl Palmer, as opposed to I wanted to be like uh, Billy Cobham. Right. So, so not that he was a great yeah, player, yeah. but you know what I mean? No, we got the you. were out there and I, I did respect them and I, I took interest in it. And that's what I was going to say. When you would watch me play with, teenage radiation or Holland, you'd say, why is Potter's snare drum so much more involved than what I would see? Right. And that's why in my mind, I, I certainly, I wanted to, um, you know, dress British, think Yiddish. I wanted to play like Buddy Rich, but be in a band like Van Halen. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So there was always that kind of, um, fight so i'm uh, not a fight but a, a struggle inside so when this thing came up when kathy and i got together remember the relationship wasn't based on greg potter the drummer she was crazy about me <laughs> because i'm brilliant <laughs> i just let him think that yeah obviously the woman was going through a mental challenge at some level <laughs> no she just can't figure out a way out of the castle she, a weak moment in her life. I mean, I will have to go back into hers and see exactly. A dog probably died. <laughs> you know, something tr- tragic had to be going on that she goes. You know what? Let me just go there. We are. We're going to listen to. The, we're going to listen to this uh, to the tape of the show and make sure that there's no subliminal messages of yeah, her trying yeah, yeah. to escape from Castle Dracula. <laughs> But what, what, the whole idea of doing, you know, bringing the band back and doing this really was, you know, something that my dad wanted me to do all along. You know, the yeah. memorial concerts are fantastic and we, we still do them. And but he really wanted the band to continue and have the musicians working and the music heard and, you know, all of that. So, you know, six or eight months after, you know, I had moved to Chicago, we just decided, let's just see. You know, it was really a shot in the dark. And, you know, it turned out to be something that was really good and really interesting. And, you know, Greg wasn't sure that it was something that he could do. And, you know, I wasn't sure that it was something we could do, but it worked out. And, you know, here we are 10 years down the line and and we're still doing it. Beautiful. Well, you know, that's what I was going to say is that it was when you watched Kathy put together these, um, the Buddy Rich Memorial concerts, like, as much as you would maybe talk about like Steve Gadd, you have to add, or she admits it was the Neil Peart show that just, it was they her. They wanted to see the rockers. Come they wanted to band. see these rock guys, Terry Bozio, um, Chad Smith, Chad Smith. The, the, the audiences really loved, you know, watching these rock guys because. Yeah, and we were talking about oh, Neil earlier and, yeah. and the reason that we did burning for buddy after that, you know, show in 91 was because Neil was so mortified by his performance at the show that he wanted to do it under a more controlled, you know, yeah. circumstance. Well, so, Neil Peart was, know, a, he was a perfectionist. And so he wanted yeah, to redeem himself. Yeah, sure. Obviously. Yeah. But, and, you know, he has had a different approach to things because coming from the world he came from. And, you know, I like to think that I helped him sort of, go into another realm because he had never really done anything outside of rush before. And, you know, I like to think that uh, I helped him kind of get out of that and, and explore other things. Yeah. Yeah. His love and respect for buddy is on, you know, I mean, unmatched. And that's like when you were talking about, say he's struggling playing and stuff. 
But when you look at, you know, and you continue to look at that, his love and respect for what he was doing made it. He didn't let his fear he, of doing it. Right. Job. That to me really, really. That really says something about Yeah. The guy was so deep, like on that level. It was yeah. Like, so I don't play like, I know I don't swing like. But he loved but playing he just that music. loved it. And you could see it. You could see it. The music is something that is contagious. I mean, it, it just drives people's emotions. And so as you continue on, what can people, first of all, where can people um, get merchandise and, and learn more about what you folks are doing with the Buddy Rich Big Band? Funny you should ask that. We just actually put up a brand new website. It's thebuddyrichband.com. And all of our, you know, there's all kinds of stuff there, but there's a great store for merch. There's, you know, all the info on where we're playing, where we have played, what's coming up, what was behind. Um, there's a, a cool player on there. You can listen to the new album. So it's, yeah, it's a good website. And I think you could even link to www.gregpotter.com. If you really have nothing to do. <laughs> if, you're, if your life is that, life is that You can see the life. Well, you know what you could see? You could see the great picture of Buddy in the uh, bus looking over and oh, beyond yeah, Greg's right. head. Yeah, it's you fantastic. Can see that. You can see a man who is so not only disgusted with the way I look, but <laughs> care less. The man could care less that basically within 23 years, I would ruin his afterlife. I mean, imagine he's up there looking down at me going, would please someone strike him with lightning? Would, would, Little. He tried, he tried, yeah, he tried in February. I broke my leg. He tried. He, he made you slip on the ice. He slip on the ice and break my leg. But I said, no, buddy, I will not do this. I, I will not. With Rod Stewart in the, possibly in the wings here. I will not stop. And then he said, fine, if it'll buy Kathy another pair of those shoes with the red bottoms fine well, there you go little did buddy rich know when he was signing the autograph of the kid with the wacky hair that you can see he's holding the pen. are you looking at the picture are you you can see he's holding the pen looking past me like a like a bums asking him for a dollar i wonder if at that moment like at that like if buddy was on the bus and you're traveling to iowa or someplace and he has a nightmare of the kid with the crazy hair one day not only destroying his legacy but destroying his daughter's life my daughter has much better taste than that. <laughs> I'd rather see her with Carl Palmer. I will say that my dad was really cool when I was when I did finally date people. He was very nice and very, you know, he would, you know, give them the eyeball, but he was he was cool. Yeah. There was only one person in my entire life that he absolutely I don't know. He had a visceral reaction to this person who shall remain nameless. Oh. But he was the only time when he like forbade me to go out with this person. It was really like, you would mention the name 10 years later and he would freak out. <laughs> What, what did that guy do to him? I, mean, I, I know the guy. Problem. It gave him vibes. Yeah, he got he caught vibes. You know, Buddy could read people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he yeah, could no, read them. Yeah, we do. Like, I, I base. He who shall remain nameless. Yeah, there you go. I'll tell you later. Like the next time you come see me, I'll, I'll tell you who it is. I'll tell you in person. But uh, no, it's not like a famous no, no. drummer or a famous. It's someone in the music business. Yeah. But I mean, it's not like that level. I mean, I've never seen such hatred. No, wow. it's human being that he had for this person. But now, which guy did he totally love, but you just couldn't love him back? The drummer from the Mac? Oh, Bruce Gary. She loved, loved Bruce He loved Bruce yes. Gary, but Kathy just couldn't. I love Bruce. Bruce yeah, but, but we were you friends. You guys didn't like. like uh, no, no, no. We weren't like. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, like right. there are some people like that. You would think, like her Rolodex, like, well, let me, let me. Wait, date. 1960, yeah, 1960, right. 
you look at her phone. I mean, she like every drummer ever is in that phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And see which ones because she does like a she does like a Jeffrey Epstein thing. It's got like stars. The Hollywood Madam. She's like yeah. she's like Heidi Fleiss. She has like well, a, a drum. Well, but know, here's you know, but here's Kathy. You know, growing up and you had to have your radar up for every drummer that asked you out on the date. You're thinking they just want to meet my dad, right? You had to keep that radar up. It happened a few times, but you know, I usually am pretty good at, at picking it out. Well, listen, uh, you guys are the best, and I wish you all the best, Greg. Before we wrap it up here, because uh, I, I, you know, I have to probably go through this and make sure that we're not all going to get sued. Um, I remember you played Soldier Field with Steve Dahl in Teenage Radiation. Okay. Yes. And I went backstage because my friend Rodney. Uh, worked the, for the sound company. Okay. okay. And, and now the 80s were crazy for all of us. I think we can just leave those stories alone. Yes, but we can. am yes. I mistaken when I say there was a vulture and a donkey backstage at Soldier <laughs> Field for the Joe Walsh show? I'm, I'm saying that those years that I did get to play with... Um, like Steve Dahl, because remember, I too, the name of the band was Teenage Radiation. Yes. And that, that, that was, I mean, think about it. Steve Dahl was only 25 years old. Right. Uh, so, um, I was the youngest. I was 18. Romans, like maybe 20. Skender, the bass player, was a year older. Than, I'm saying we're teenagers. So I'm, I'm saying we were seeing things and we were seeing things that yeah there was stuff do you remember when we did that Falklands video and then we toured, we played gigs with the sheep with the sheep yes yes we had sheep everywhere and then like I mean so yes um, sideshow or like sideshow freaks or animals do you remember when we toured with the magician setup like we had the magic <laughs> the magic show so, yes yeah so I, I mean I thought you were going to ask me about yeah but that soldier field gig that was that I just was, remember Joe Walsh having a donkey and like a vulture or a, like a turkey vulture on a on a on a on a perch. Yeah, I, I'm I'm like I'm saying I saw I I saw so many things that would have even phased you. Right. Yeah, do you remember the hot tub Jello wrestling? Yeah, I do. Page of Holiday Star Theater yes. or the Park West. I mean, so think about this. I should be in therapy every day just for that. <laughs> but you are. Well, I you am, are, but I don't, but I don't I, okay. I am in therapy every second day, but I don't talk about what I saw like during my formative years, formative years. I mean, and think about it. So then fast forward again, whatever, 30 years later, Kathy Rich is sitting in a bowling alley in Round Lake Beach, Illinois. <laughs> telling me man we got to get you you know yeah your drumming's a little bit beyond this are you you know are you sure this is what you should be doing and i'd be like because when i would talk to her on the phone she would just say hey potter at least you're working because i you know right. i worked i worked all the time and that's what my dad would say he'd right. be like you know if you're doing what you love and you're working you're you're your success, your success. Right. And, and i would say well kathy then don't come to chicago this week i'm playing a bowling alley in round lake beach <laughs> and in chicago remember She's from Beverly Hills, California. We got this stuff called snow, and I don't mean the stuff you're snorting off like on the boulevard. So she yeah. comes here. I'm in this rotten Dodge van. We're driving. Now, luckily, Kathy's kind of an adventurer, you know, so she's like, oh, this is fun. Yeah, it's fun at 730 at night when you're driving there. Right. 230 in the morning, yeah. it's the, you know, you're out in Round Lake, so you're taking Route 12 or something. Right. And snow is covering that two-lane highway. Yeah. She's looking at me going, mm, does the heat work? 
work in this van, man? <laughs> I mean, is that beating this thing? So, yeah. Here we are, but here, almost 11 years later. Right. Well, I know you guys have a, uh, you have a book in you. There's, you know. Oh, yes. That's, that's happening. That's got to yeah, happen. obituary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're writing all right. We're writing how the end, how the end, the end is near. <laughs> exactly. All of this, and there's another variant. Yeah, there's a variant of Potter. Uh, the Potter variant. I don't want to talk about the past 24 months. That uh, oh, crazy, just brutal. Right, well, yeah, we should let you go, but thank you so much. Well, listen, I, I can't wait to see you both again because I love your company and I love your friendship. So uh, continued success. The BuddyRichBigBand.com. No, no, no. Buddy Rich Just band. The BuddyRichBand. Oh, I'm sorry. TheBuddyRichBand.com. Right. I'll let it you www.BigGregPotter, that won't work either. No, that's it's a whole different Greg Potter. Yeah, it's that's just it. Greg Potter. And I don't mean the... Uh, the porn the, star. The meteorologist in Texas. There's another Greg Potter. Is there a Greg? Does he have two Gs? There's another Greg Potter with two G's, and he but he doesn't have a, the .com, and he doesn't have but it's a, he doesn't a, have the hair. He says tornadoes. All right, thebuddyrichband.com. Yes. Yes. That's it. There you go. All right, God bless you both. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Soon. Yes, we'll see you. And that's our conversation with Greg Potter and Kathy Rich. Don't forget to check out all the cool stuff they're doing. Thebuddyrichband.com. Those two definitely know how to have fun. What a conversation. Also, make sure that uh, if you are a music lover and you don't know the legacy of Buddy Rich, some of you youngsters out there, especially you drummers, you got to check them out. Even if you're just a rock and roller or you aren't familiar with big band music, uh, you need to witness the mastery of this game-changing legend. Go to thebuddyrichband.com. And thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this program wherever you stream your podcasts. Tell your friends and uh, hit me up on Twitter at Mike Tomano. Facebook, look up The Mike Tomano Show and tell your friends about it. We look forward to being with you next week. Till then, go out there and have your best week ever. Live it up. Rock on. So what, what is it we're doing? We're, you're, just, you're just asking us questions? Or like, what? The Mike Tomano Happening.